0: Joining us right now from MLB Network, a guy who almost got in the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and he's got a damn compelling case for it, Longtime broadcaster, and MLB Network is airing a new interview uh, across its studio shows featuring former teammate Ron Guidry discussing the 40th anniversary of the passing of Thurman Munson, which unfortunately happened 40 years ago today. The interview can be also seen across MLB Network social channels. We're talking about the great Jim Cott. Jim, John Jastrzemski, Evan Roberts, how you been?
1: Fine, thanks, guys.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. This is, um, it's sad every time we get to this time of year because it's almost unimaginable to think back to the tragedy that this town and the Munson family faced and the Yankee family and the baseball family faced 40 years ago. You were on that team. What was that day like? I know it's a sad one, but what was finding out about the passing of Thurman Munson like that day, Jim?
1: Well, what was particularly uh, a numbing experience and such a shock is that uh, we had just come off a road trip in Chicago, and Tuesday night, uh, Bucky Dent, Goose Gossage, and myself, we had all been with the White Sox in the mid-70s, and now we're with the Yankees and our friends at Traverso Brothers, who had a Italian restaurant out there in uh, Tinley Park. Love Thurman, and uh, so on Tuesday night. I got Thurman, Greg Nettles, maybe Chicken Stanley was there, Bucky Goose, myself. We had a big Italian uh, feast out there, provided by Mama Traverso. And that's Tuesday, Wednesday we play the game. We go back to New York. Thurman goes to Canton, and then you turn on the TV uh Thursday and read about the the accident. So. We were all just numb about it for quite a while, I'm sure, as the Angels are now. And then Mm. you really play the rest of the season in a fog. It's like it really doesn't mean much.
2: I can imagine, Jim. And obviously that game you guys played, the first one back at Yankee Stadium, one of the more surreal moments you probably ever had in all your years on a baseball field, right?
1: It really was. I mean, uh, everybody was emotional about it. You know, they had a vacant spot. Pete, uh, Pete, he already had Thurman's locker cleared out and uh, you know his uniform hanging there. So that was honoring, uh, honoring Thurman. But uh, yeah, that night was uh, was tough to get through. And then, of course, the the happy side of it, if you could say something's happy in a situation like that, is when we played Monday after the funeral and. Bobby Mercer had the great uh, day for his friend Thurman, and we came back and won that game.
0: Yeah. What was he like? I mean, we hear about his leadership, a true captain, obviously a great player, former MVP, but what was Thurman Munson, the guy, like?
1: Well, I was just with him a brief period of time and pitched to him just a a few times, but, uh, you know, he could be gruff with a lot of people. He was going to, you know, he was pretty unfiltered. He was going to let you know how he felt, but the the reason I enjoyed pitching to him the few times I did is he always said, "Kitty, we're going to pitch backwards, you know, and when it seems like it's a fastball count, we're throwing breaking balls, and I had to tell Thurman, I said, Thurman, that's really the way you should pitch, so what I enjoyed is I might be facing a a lethal right-hand power hitter like, say, a Willie Horton, might not have been Willie, but and you know he's a, a great fastball hitter. And then all of a sudden, in, a say, a 2-2 count, whatever the sequence getting to that count was, Thurman would have a big smile on his face. I could see through the mask, and he'd put down fastball. <laughs> and we'd get him out, and it was just, I think, what made him a great catcher. We didn't have uh, analytics then, thank goodness. We were <laughs> able to use our intuitive and instinctive skills. And Thurman did that, and he was unpredictable. And that's what was fun to pitch to, but I think that's what made it a little difficult for the hitters to guess along with them as well
2: we have the longtime broadcaster great major leaguer jim Cott with evan robertson john jostramski here on the fan and jim i grew up watching you on the msg network for years doing yankee games so i feel like my childhood i was learning pitching and i was learning baseball from you so i thank you for that and now being around the game and i'm still grateful you're doing the games on mlb network with costas which is great You have seen so much change in the game from when you played to doing the Yankees to now doing the national broadcast. Do you like the changes in baseball? Do they make you sick? Are you somewhere in between? Like, how do you feel about these balls just flying out of the ballpark? Guys flicking their wrists and hitting the ball 400 feet for goodness sakes.
1: Yeah, I don't don't like them. I mean, I'm going to do the AAA championship game as I do every year. And I just got the statistical report They're now using the Major League ball and home runs. uh, They made double by the end of the year compared to last year. So, you know, I I guess the ball is is made differently. We trust Major League Baseball. I mean, made the same. We trust uh, Major League Baseball says that. It's made the same specs. But whether the uh, people down in Costa Rica are a little stronger and they're sewing them tighter, I don't know. But the ball is different. And uh, it is disappointing to see most of the at bats be home run, walks, or uh, strikeouts. But that's that's the game that the modern kids, like my grandkids, that's the only game they know. Mm. So they don't know the one nothing game where you win it with a sacrifice bond or a stolen base. So even though us old codgers uh, don't like that, we have to adapt to it and uh, promote the you know promote the ability of the talented young players that we can see today. I,
0: I wonder. Jim if the game will go back and cycle back to you know dominant pitching I mean you're pitching in the year of the pitcher 1968 I don't know if we'll ever go back to 1968 but I wonder if the cycles that we see in this sport would eventually cycle back to where it is about pitching where the home runs aren't flying out of here and maybe dare I say a starting pitcher is allowed to pitch seven or eight innings because nowadays Jim you see it these guys come out after five innings and it's considered a good start.
1: Yeah, I know Dale Murphy had a recent article on that in The Athletic. You would hope it would, but, you know, unless they soften the ball, regulate the bat a little bit more than they are, make parks bigger, which isn't going to happen. And quite frankly, I think from a marketing standpoint, uh, an indication would be that the home run derby outdrew the all-star game, that Major League Baseball, I think, likes the, you know, we have to say what is reality. And I think from a financial standpoint, they're saying, hey, this is good, this home run stuff. I mean, people now are able to watch condensed games on their iPad. They don't have to watch the whole game, so they'll watch eight, nine minutes of it and see six home runs, and they think that's great. So that might be what we have to live with. I would like to see it go back to where uh, I'm on my way to Minnesota to do a Twins game. They lost a heartbreaker Uh, yesterday, and Michael Pineda pitched seven great innings, and then they took him out. And sometimes that works, but a lot of times it doesn't. And when it doesn't, you say, well, why didn't they allow the starter to go? He was rolling along. So whether we ever go back to that, I don't know. It's sad that they don't because the pitchers have the ability to do it. It's the oh, organizations yeah. that are stunting their well, ability to continue and do it.
0: Yeah, I was watching the Twins the other night. Barrios pitched seven innings, gave up two hits. He was at yeah. like 81 yeah. pitches, and he's out of the game. And I'm thinking, this guy this guy had perfect game stuff that day. The two hits he gave up. One was a, a swinging bunt. One was a blooper. And he's out of the game in the eighth inning. And, of course, the, the bullpen gave up runs. I think they held on a 174, something like that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I just heard the tail end of Brian Cashman's comments, and I have such a lot of respect for Cash, and I know our organizations handle pitchers now, but there is no data, not enough data to show that limiting innings and limiting pitches has prevented injuries Yeah, because there are more injuries. And what I would wish that organizations would understand, like Jack McKeon, for example, when he managed me in class, ball as a 19-year-old with a few men on in the sixth inning, and then two outs, he'd come out, spit a little tobacco juice on my crew, and say, hey, kid, figure out a way to get out of it. <laughs> and some days we didn't, some days we did, but we learned how to pitch the last three innings of a game, and we certainly weren't bigger or stronger or better than the pitchers you- of today. So it can be done. And unfortunately they, they're all drinking the Kool Aid. This this is gonna protect our pitchers in reality. It really doesn't, because the injuries are are more prevalent than they were when we pitched.
0: When you pitched, you had a year in which you threw 300 innings, which is obviously never going to happen again. Can you imagine? It's never. I mean, it's never going to happen again. Do you think that in those years, when you're throwing 280 innings, that maybe you were pitching with injuries that they would have figured out in 2018? You know, like, you were pitching somewhat hurt and just getting through it, and nowadays they diagnose everything, and maybe that's why there are more injuries. Is that possible that that was the case?
1: Yeah, I would say you're right about that. I mean, 65, I pitched with uh, some tightness in my shoulder. We didn't have, nowadays I guess they call it discomfort and take 10 days off. We just say, hey, my shoulder doesn't feel right, and you just learn to pitch with it. Uh, And then in 66, it was the elbow, even though I had a really good year that year. But if they did MRIs in those days, yes, they probably would have found things. But the difference is that there was no demand for power. I mean, my first year as a rookie in minor league ball class D, my manager at the end of the year said, "Kid, if you come up with a fastball, you got a chance. Well, can you imagine today if a kid doesn't have a fastball, he doesn't get a chance right. in the first place.
0: Right. So hey, we
1: learned to pitch with, with what we had and not put the emphasis on power but control, movement, and change of speeds.
2: Jim, obviously locally, a lot of attention with the Yankees not making a trade. No Madison Bumgarner, no Marcus Stroman. Cranky ends up with the Houston Astros. You think the Yankees have enough within this pitching staff to go out and win a championship?
1: Well, I think because they rely so much on their bullpen. They don't rely on uh, the depth of their starters. And as Brian said, they have you know a guy that doesn't get a lot of national – uh, publicity in Herman, who has become quite a pitcher. Tanaka, even though he's had an in-and-out year, has done awfully well in postseason with big games. And if they can give you five innings with the with the bullpen that the Yankees have in a short series, I, I think they feel like maybe uh, that's enough. Uh, we'll see.
0: It was a couple of years ago you came within two votes of getting into the Hall of Fame with one of the new committees that they have. Is that something you think about? Like, Do you think about, oh, my God, I was two votes away. Hopefully I'll get in on the next try. Or is that something you don't think about at this point of your life?
1: Well, obviously, you you can't deny thinking about it because just like we're talking about now, people bring it up. I have a lot of support from guys like Mike Schmidt and Jim Palmer. And really what it boils down to as a veteran is you have to have the right 12 guys on the committee, uh, 12 of the sixteen. Right. And sometimes, I mean, I put it this way, if Harmon Killeber were still alive, I probably would be in.
0: Right. Because
1: if you get a couple of the right guys on that veterans committee, they can swing a little influence. But that being said, uh, I don't worry too much about it. I think when you look at the starting pitchers that are in the Hall of Fame, they were all aces. You know, multiple all-stars, opening day pitchers, guys that led off the series I had brief spurts of that, but primarily I was uh, a number two guy. Mm. You know, I might not run in the Kentucky Derby. I'd run in a real good stakes race for you. But uh, <laughs> So if you look at most of the starters, they were aces, and I probably didn't fit that profile. But maybe someday I'd get in on uh, longevity and stuff like that. But uh, it doesn't occupy a lot of my time. Jim, does it bother
2: you that the criteria because of, you know, starters not going as deep into games, 300 wins now, nobody seems to be able to sniff that number. You look at a guy like CC Sabathia, I think he's going to end up in the Hall of Fame and he's around that 250 win plateau. As a guy who did it, as a guy who won a ton of games, does that like changing criteria for a pitcher maybe 20 or 30 years ago to what it is right now, does that bother
1: you at all? Oh, that doesn't bother me at all. I think in CeCe's case, he's a legitimate Hall of Famer because, first of all, they pitch now every five days, not every four days. We used to start 40 games a year. they probably start 42, I mean 32, 33, and CeCe was a legitimate ace. You know, he had a uh, 20-game season. He, he he led like the year he had with the Brewers. Uh, I say a whole year. It was just a partial year leading him to the playoffs. I mean, CC was a legitimate ace. Now he has 3,000 strikeouts. So that doesn't bother me because the 250 wins today, 250 to 260 is probably what 300 would have been back in the, uh, in the 60s and the early 70s.
0: Yeah, it's a different world. Well, Jim, we, we always love hearing you on TV. I appreciate you coming on and joining us for a couple minutes. Thank you, as always, my Thanks, friend.
1: Thanks, Jim. Uh, you're quite welcome, guys. Okay.
0: The great Jim Cott had a hell of a major league career, pitched for 25 years, was on that 79 Yankee team, sharing thoughts about Thurman Munson. And, and a great Yankee broadcast
2: I might A great Yankee broadcaster. Yes. I oh, yeah. great Yankee broadcaster look, it, loved them on MSG.
0: Look, you said it best. I mean, that's how we grew up with Jim Cott. I mean, I learned <laughs> right.
2: baseball. I yeah. learned pitching listening to Jim Cott.
0: Absolutely. All those years. And he wrote a great book about it, too. I forget the name. But if you Google it, Jim Cott wrote a very good book about pitching. Uh, MLB Network is airing a brand new interview across its studio shows. It's going to feature the former teammate of his, Ron Guidry, discussing the 40th anniversary of the passing of the great, the great Thurman Munson. The interview can also be seen across MLB Network's social channels.